section number 15 of Studies in Love and in Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melissa Green. Studies in Love and in Terror by Marie Belloc Londis. Why They Married, Chapter 3. John Coxeter was standing in the library of Mrs. Archdale's home in Wimpole Street. Two nights had elapsed since their arrival in London, and now he was to see her for the first time since they had parted on the Charing Cross platform, in the presence of the crowd of people comprised of unknown sympathizers, acquaintances, and friends who had come to meet them. He looked round him with a curious sense of unfamiliarity. The colouring of the room was grey and white, with touches of deep-toned mahogany. It was Nan's favourite sitting-room, though it still looked what it had been ever since Nan could remember it, a man's room. In his day, her father had been a collector of books, medals, and engravings connected with the severer type of eighteenth-century art and letters. In a sense, this room always pleased Coxeter's fancy, partly because it implied a great many things that money in even modern culture cannot buy. But now, this morning— for it was still early, and he was on his way to his office for the first time since what an aunt of his had called his mysterious preservation from death, he seemed to see everything in this room in another light. Everything which had once been to him important had become, if not worthless, then unessential. He had sometimes secretly wondered why Mrs. Archdale, possessed as she was of considerable means, had not altered the old house, had not made it pretty as her friends' houses and rooms were pretty. But today— he no longer wondered at this. His knowledge of the fleetingness of life and of the unimportance of all he had once thought so important was too vividly present. She came into the room and he saw that she was dressed in a more feminine kind of garment than that in which he generally saw her. It was white, and though girdled in a black ribbon, it made her look very young, almost girlish. For a moment they looked at one another in constraint. Mrs. Archdale also had altered, altered far less than John Coxeter, but she was aware, as he was not aware, of the changes which long nearness to death had brought her, and for almost the first time in her life she was more absorbed in her own sensations than in those of the person with her. Seeing John Coxeter standing there waiting for her, looking so like his old self, so absolutely unchanged, confused her and made her feel desperately shy. She held out her hand, but Coxeter scarcely touched it. After having held her so long in his arms, he did not care to take her hand in formal greeting. She mistook his gesture, thought that he was annoyed at having received no word from her since they had parted. The long day in between had been to Nan Archdale full of nervous terror, for relations, friends, acquaintances had come in troops to see her, and would not be denied. Already she had received two or three angry notes from people who thought they loved her, and who were bitterly incensed that she had refused to see them when they had rushed to hear her account of an adventure which might so easily have happened to them. She made the mistake of confusing Coxeter with these selfish people. "'I am so sorry,' she said in a low voice, "'that when you called yesterday I was supposed to be asleep. I have been most anxious to see you.' She waited a moment, and then added his name, Mr. Coxeter. I knew that you would have the latest news, and that you would tell it me. There is news, he said, of all the boats. Good news? With the exception of the last boat. His voice sounded strangely to himself. 
oh but that must be all right too mr coxeter the captain said the boats might drift about for a long time coxeter shook his head i'm afraid not he said in fact he waited a moment and she came close up to him tell me she commanded in a low voice tell me what you know they say i ought to put it out of my mind but i can think of nothing else whenever i close my eyes i see the awful struggle that went on round that last boat she gave a quick convulsive sob coxeter was dismayed how wildly she spoke how unlike herself she seemed to-day how unlike what she had been during the whole of their terrible ordeal already that ordeal had become to him something to be treasured there is no lack of physical courage in the breed of englishmen to which john coxeter belonged pain entirely unassociated with shame holds out comparatively little terror to such as he there was something rueful in the look he gave her the last boat was run down in the fog he said briefly some of the bodies have been washed up on the french coast she looked at him apprehensively any of the people we had spoken to any of those who were with us in the railway carriage yes i'm sorry to say that one of the bodies washed up is that of the person who sat next to you that poor french boy coxeter shook his head no no he is all right at least i believe he's all right it the body i mean was that of your other neighbour he added unnecessarily the man who made sweets and then for the first time coxeter saw nan archdale really moved out of herself what he had just said had had the power to touch her to cause her greater anguish than anything which had happened during the long hours of terror they had gone through she turned and moving as if blindly pressed her hand to her face as if to shut out some terrible and pitiful sight ah oh, she exclaimed in a low voice i shall never forgive myself over that do you know i had a kind of instinct that i ought to ask that man the name the address her voice quivered and broke of his friend that poor young woman who saw him off at the paris station till this moment coxeter had not known that nan had been aware of what had to himself been so odious so ridiculous and so grotesque a scene but now he felt differently about this as about everything else that touched on the quick of life for the first time he understood even sympathized with nan's concern for that majority of human beings who are born to suffering and who are bare to the storm look here he said awkwardly don't be unhappy it's all right that man spoke to me on the boat he did what you wished he made a will providing for that woman i took charge of it for him as a matter of fact i went and saw his old mother yesterday she behaved splendidly then the life-saver was no good after all no good he said and he avoided looking at her at least so it would seem but who can tell nan's eyes filled with tears something beckoning appealing seemed to pass from her to him the door suddenly opened mrs eaton ma'am she says she only heard what happened to-day and she's sure you will see her before mrs archdale could answer a woman had pushed her way past the maid into the room nan poor darling what an awful thing i am glad i came so early now you will be able to tell me all about it the visitor looking round her saw john coxeter and seemed surprised fortunately she did not know him and feeling as if had he stayed he must have struck the woman he escaped from the room as coxeter went through the hall filled with a perplexity and pain very alien from his positive nature 
a good-looking clean-shaven man who gave him a quick measured glance passed by with him there had been no parleying at the door as in coxeter's own case who's that he asked with a scowl of the servant the doctor sir and he felt absurdly relieved we sent for him yesterday for mrs archdale seemed very bad last night the servant dropped her voice it's the doctor sir as says mrs archdale oughtn't to see visitors you see it was in all the papers about the shipwreck sir and of course mrs archdale's friends all come and see her to hear about it they've never stopped the doctor he says that she ought to have stayed in bed and been quite quiet but what would be the good of that seeing she don't seem able to sleep i suppose you've not suffered that way yourself sir the young woman was staring furtively at coxeter but noting his cold manner and imperturbable face she felt that he was indeed a disappointing hero of romance not at all the sort of gentleman with whom one would care to be shipwrecked if it came to a matter of choice no he said solemnly i can't say that i have he looked thoughtfully out into what had ever been to him a long unlovely street and which just now was the only place in the world where he desired to stay coxeter always so sure of himself and of what was the best and wisest thing to do in every circumstance of life felt for the first time unable to cope with a situation presented to his notice as he was hesitating a carriage drove up and a footman came forward with a card while the occupant of the carriage called out making anxious inquiries as to mrs archdale's condition and promising to call again the same afternoon coxeter suddenly told himself that it behooved him to see the doctor and ascertain from him whether mrs archdale was really ill he crossed the street and began pacing up and down and unconsciously he quickened his steps as he went over every moment of his brief interview with nan all that was himself and there was a good deal more of john coxeter than even he was at all aware of had gone out to her in a rapture of memory and longing but she or so it seemed to him had purposefully made herself remote at last after what seemed a very long time the doctor came out of mrs archdale's house and began walking quickly down the street coxeter crossed over and touched him on the arm if i may he said i should like a word with you i want to ask you i mean i trust that mrs archdale is recovering from the effect of the terrible experience she went through the other night he spoke awkwardly stiffly i saw her for a few moments just before you came and i was sorry to find her very unlike herself the doctor went on walking he looked coldly at coxeter it is a great pity that mrs archdale's friends can't leave her alone as to being unlike herself you and i would probably be very unlike ourselves if we had gone through what this poor lady had just gone through you see i was with her on the boat we were not travelling together coxeter corrected himself hastily i happened to meet her merely on the journey my name is coxeter the other man's manner entirely altered he slackened in his quick walk i beg your pardon sir he said of course i had no notion who you were she says you saved her life that but for you she would have been in that boat the boat that was lost coxeter tried to say something in denial of this surprising statement but the doctor hurried on i may tell you that i'm very worried about mrs archdale in fact seriously concerned at her condition if you have any influence with her i beg you to persuade her to refuse herself to the endless busybodies who want to hear her account of what happened she won't have a trained nurse but there ought to be someone on guard 
a human watchdog warranted to snarl and bite. "'Do you think she ought to go away from London?' asked Coxeter in a low voice. "'No, I don't think that, at least not for the present.' The medical man frowned thoughtfully. "'What she wants is to be taken out of herself. If I could prescribe what I believe would be the best thing for her, I should advise that she go away to some other part of London with someone who will never speak to her of what happened, and yet who will always listen to her when she wants to talk about it. Some sensible commonplace person who could distract her mind without tiring her, and who would make her do things she has never done before. If she was an ordinary smart lady I should prescribe philanthropy.' he made a slight grimace. Make her go and see some of my poorer patients, come into contact with a little real trouble. But that would be no change to Mrs. Archdale. No. What she wants is someone who will force her to be selfish, who will take her up the monument one day, and to a music hall the next, motor her out to Richmond Park, make her take a good long walk, and then sit by the sofa and hold her hand if she feels like crying. He stopped, a little ashamed of his energy. Thank you, Coxeter said very seriously. I'm much obliged to you for telling me this. I can see the sense of what you say. You know, in spite of her quiet manner, Mrs. Archdale's a nervous, sensitive woman. The doctor was looking narrowly at Coxeter as he spoke. She was perfectly calm and, and very brave at the time. That means nothing. Pluck's not a matter of nerve. It ought to be, but it isn't but I admit you're a remarkable example of the presence of the one coupled with the absence of the other. You don't seem a penny the worse, and yet it must have been a very terrible experience. You see, it came at the end of my holiday, said Coxeter gravely, and as a matter of fact, he hesitated. I feel quite well, in fact, remarkably well. Do you see any objection to my calling again? I mean today, on Mrs. Archdale. I might put what you have just said before her. Yes, do. Do that by all means, seeing how well you have come through it. The doctor could not help smiling a slightly satirical smile. Ought to be a lesson to Mrs. Archdale. It ought to show her that, after all, she is perhaps making a great deal of fuss about nothing. Hardly that, said Coxeter with a frown. They had now come to the corner of Queen Anne Street. He put out his hand hesitatingly. The doctor took it and, oddly enough, held it for a moment while he spoke. Think over what I have said, Coxeter. It's a matter of hours. Mrs. Archdale ought to be taken in hand at once. Then he went off, crossing the street. Pity the man, such a dry stick, he said to himself. Now's his chance, if he only knew it. John Coxeter walked straight on. He had written the day before to say that he would be at his office as usual this morning. But now the fact quite slipped his mind. Wild thoughts were surging through his brain. They were running away with him into such unexpected places. The monument? He had never thought of going up the monument. He would formerly have thought it a sad waste of time, but now the monument became to John Coxeter a place of pilgrimage, a spot of secret healing. A man had once told him that the best way to see the city was at night, but that if you were taking a lady, you should choose a Sunday morning and go there on the top of a bus. He had thought the man who said this very eccentric, but now he remembered the advice and thought it well worth following. By the time Coxeter turned into Cavendish Square, he had travelled far further than the monument. He was in Richmond Park. Nan's hand was thrust through his arm, as it had been while they had watched the first boat fill slowly with the women and children. 
to lovers who remember the streets of a great town far more than country roads and lanes hold over the long years precious poignant memories for a background of stones and mortar has about it a character of permanence which holds captive and echoes the scenes and words enacted and uttered there coxeter has not often occasion to go the little round he went that morning but when some accidental circumstance causes him to do so he finds himself again in the heart of that kingdom of romance from which he was so long an alien and of which he has now become a naturalized subject as most of us know many ways lead to the kingdom of romance coxeter found his way there by a waterway and so it is that when he reaches the turning into queen anne street there seems to rise round him the atmosphere of what londoners call the city the city as it is at night uncannily deserted save for the ghosts and lovers who haunt its solitary thoroughfares after the bustle of the day is stilled it was then that he and nan first learnt to wander there from there he travels on into golden sunlight and he is again in richmond park as it was during the whole of that beautiful october walking up the west side of cavendish square coxeter again becomes absorbed in his great adventure a far greater adventure than that with which his friends and acquaintances still associate his name with some surprise even perhaps with some discomfiture he sees himself for he has not wholly cast out the old adam he sees himself as he was that memorable morning carried that is wholly out of his usual wise ponder itself perhaps he even wonders a little how he could ever have found courage to do what he did he who has always thought so much in a hidden way of the world's opinion and of what people will say he could still tell you which lamp-post he was striding past when he realized with a thrill of relief that in any case nan archdale would not treat him as would almost certainly do one of those women whom he had honored with his cold approval something less than a week ago any one of those women would have regarded what he was now going to ask nan to do as an outrage on the conventions of life but nan archdale would be guided only by what she herself thought right and seemly and then as he turns again into wimple street as he comes nearer to what was once his wife's house his long steady stride becomes slower unwillingly he is living again those doubtful moments when he knocked at her door when he gave the surprised maid the confused explanation that he had a message from the doctor for mrs archdale he hears the young woman say mrs archdale is just going out sir the doctor thought she ought to take a walk and his muttered answer i won't keep her a moment again he feels the exultant breathless thrill which seized him when she slipped neither of them exactly knew how into his arms and when the sentences he had prepared the arguments he meant to use in his hurried rush up the long street were all forgotten he hears himself imploring her to come away with him now at once is she not dressed to go out instinct teaches him for the first time to make to her the one appeal to which she ever responds he had meant to tell her what the doctor had said to let that explain his great temerity but instead he tells her only that he wants her that he cannot go on living apart from her is there any good reason why they should not start now this moment for doctor's commons in order to see how soon they can be married so it is that when john coxeter stands in wimple street so typical a londoner belonging to the leisured and conventional class that none of the people passing by even glance his way he lives again through the immortal moment when she said very well to this day so transforming is the miracle of love nan coxeter believes that during their curious honeymoon it was she who was taking care of john not he of her
End of section 15. Recording by Melissa Green. End of Studies in Love and in Terror by Marie Bella Glandes.